This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. So welcome back to Bible study. Now last week I know we had, what was last week? Last week was our monthly Q&A. And so we stepped out of 2 Peter uh, just for that. And now we're stepping back into 2 Peter. We're going to pick up right about where we left off. Not a lengthy review. We're just going to jump in at verse 10. In the previous paragraph, we had gone through that um, not quite, it wasn't exactly an enumerated list of things that we should add to our faith, uh, but it is a list of things that we should add to our faith as faithful Christians, as loyal Christians, obedient to our Father in heaven. And so having concluded that, what he was talking about, verse 10, it begins another paragraph, and we touched on this two weeks ago. He says in verse 10, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, what things? The things that he was just talking about in the previous paragraph, 2 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 10, but he was referring to the things that he was speaking about back in verses 5 through 9 in the previous paragraph. He says, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Do you want to live a Christian life in which you will never fall? Amen, right? That's not a trap. That's not a trick question. I'm not laying a trap for anybody to step in so I can blast or plow or anything like that. That's not the spirit behind this. Well, the thing is, you can. Every one of us can. God never required anything of mankind that he did not make provision for that, expecta- for that expectation to be met, especially and most of all in this latter age, this age of grace in which we have been for the last practically 2,000 years since the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and especially even since Pentecost since the Holy Spirit was given to the church, those first believers, by the way, and which the Holy Spirit is still being given to individual believers on an individual basis, case by case, as they are open and receptive and even seeking of that experience, it is there for us. And so he empowers us. He said, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love the plainness of Peter's language. He doesn't embellish it and he does not write like a, um, he doesn't write like an academic. He writes like somebody with the background that he had. He was an ignorant fisherman once upon a time back during a day and age when literacy was comparatively low. And then in the years and years or decades of his ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ became learned. But he still had that very down-to-earth manner of communication in his writings. So here it is. He says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Live a life without falling. So what happens if I do fall? You get back up. Like we say over and over again. A righteous man, the Bible says, 
falls seven times and riseth up again. And so that the lesson there is simple. It's just never quit. You never quit living for God. Because if you do, you're lost. And you're a worse kind of lost than before you ever came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Apostasy is real. There's so much in the New Testament that warns against it. But here he says, if we do these things, if we add to our faith, not virtue, excuse me, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity, which is love. And if these things be in us and they abound, we shall never be fruit. We shall never be unfruitful. We shall never be barren in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we do these things, we give diligence to make our calling and election sure. And as we mentioned last or last two weeks ago, excuse me, as we mentioned two weeks ago, when we touched on this near the end of the Bible study two weeks ago, what did we say? What does that mean to make your calling and election sure? You settle it in your mind and your heart. I am a Christian and I will be a Christian until the day I am dead, until the day they throw dirt in my face, so to speak. Meaning they've dug, a, they've dug a grave for you and they're putting you in it. Not some rioter who's pretending to care about the oppressed. Let's just leave it at that. Let's just leave it at that. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. That's the promise of it. An entrance shall be ministered us abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then moving on, he says that because of all of this, he says, wherefore, in verse 12, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Now, look at that language that he uses there. He was telling all the believers that he was writing this letter to, he was telling them, you already know this. This isn't new info. This isn't a new revelation. He says, but I will not be negligent. Anybody begins that sentence with that word, wherefore? What's that mean? Because of everything I've just been telling you in the first three paragraphs of this letter, because of all of that, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them already, though you already know it. We are prone as human beings, it's just part of the human condition for whatever reason, we are prone to forget things for various reasons. Sometimes the reasons are bad, sometimes the reasons are not as bad. You know, sometimes the reasons might, might even possibly be good, but there's never a good reason for forgetting the Word of God. There just might be understandable reasons. So because we are prone to being forgetful, because we are still living say the whole human race, you know, we have, that have been born again have been delivered from the curse as far as sin and death, or at least uh, spiritual death is concerned. But, you know, we're still living with um, a, a significant amount of the curse that was laid upon Adam and Eve because of their sin. We're still subject to physical death. We're still subject to age, sickness, and all these different things. We're still subject to, we've got to earn our living by the sweat of our brow, Amen. That was all part of it too. But that's one of those curses that's not unmixed with a blessing because he also said that it is the blessing of God and it is the will of God that we should enjoy the fruit of our labor. So if you have a job, don't despise the curse of that, okay? Just try to have a job that you don't hate. 
because that just makes it a whole lot easier to get up in the morning and go slog off to that job. Maybe it's not even a slog. Maybe you can even enjoy it. And then it isn't even really work hardly at that point. It's all play or so someone has said. There's a, lot of me- there's a lot of merit to that. So he says, I'm not going to be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you already know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, verse 13, I think it meet, meaning fitting. I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. What's that mean? As long as I'm alive and in this body. I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Whoa, what was Peter talking about here? Well, Peter was not a young man when he wrote this letter. He had served the Lord faithfully for many, many years. Don't know exactly how many years, but quite a few years. And he knew that one way or another, he was going to be departing from this life. He knew that his time was running out on the earth. And so writing these letters, and so what was he doing uh, for all those years before he wrote these letters? Was he, Well, we don't really know. We just know that he was an apostle and that he ministered as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt that he preached. I have no doubt that he taught. I mean, that's what so much of ministering is. It's not so much feeding the poor or sheltering the homeless, though we certainly find no fault with these things. If a, if a person or an institution has the wherewithal to do that, it can be a blessing. But the ministering of the Word is the stuff that actually changes people's lives for eternity, not just for a month or a week or even a few years or even for the rest of a natural life. Because the Word of God will also change the rest of a person's natural life. Amen. It changed all of yours. It changed mine. For many that are watching, perhaps online, it changed yours as well. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's changed you already. He says, I know I'm getting ready to die. So as long as I'm alive, I'm going to stir you up in remembrance. What's that mean? I'm going to agitate. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to provoke you, not to anger, although some may have been provoked to anger. He said, he was saying, I'm going to provoke you to remembrance. I'm going to remind you of all of the things you already know concerning our God and our Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the righteous life or what he calls uh, later on in chapter two, the way of truth. I'm going to stir you up over and over again. Why do you think we meet? Why do you think we meet in church services and in Bible studies and in fellowships even? We meet that we may be stirred up. That's part of being edified and challenged. And it's good. It's good for us individually. It's good for us as a group, as a family, as a collective of believers here within a local congregation. And it's good for the entire body of Christ. And so he says, I'm going to do that. Verse, let's read 13 and 14 again. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. What was he saying? 
I know that I'm going to die. But I want to make sure that even after I'm dead, you have everything you need to continue to remember. Peter established ministries, you could say. And that's one of the things that the apostles did. And not just the apostles, and I don't want to get too much into that. A study in the book of Acts and some more of Paul's writings will clarify some of that a bit more, but let's go on. Verse 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. That was one of the things that made them apostles. They were eyewitnesses of the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he received, verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, think back to the Gospels. Do you remember when this happened? He's referring to an instance or an episode that occurred. You read about it in the Gospel of Matthew. You read about it in one or more of the other Gospels where some of Jesus' disciples, those closest to him, you could say his inner circle, those that were closest to him, accompanied him upon up to a mountain. And while there, Christ was transfigured before them. He was glorified and changed for a, for a space of time, a very short space of time, evident to their own senses, to their own eyes. And then there appeared both, Mo, both uh, Moses and was it Elijah? I think it was Moses and Elijah, if my memory serves me correctly. They appeared there and, and in such a way that the disciples, the witnesses that were there knew that that's who they were. You have to remember there were no photographs and, you know, portraits were kind of sketchy. No pun intended. You know, they didn't really have Rembrandt's and uh, Renaissance quality artwork. Not that those were much more accurate. You know, we can't really know what Moses looked like or what Elijah looked like. But, but certainly they appeared and in such a way that it was evident who they were. Don't know how that is. We just know that it was. And then this same Peter who's referencing that here in this letter, the same Peter who's uh, reminding them or speaking of that episode was that same Peter that was there on the mount who in his zeal just sort of opened up his mouth and started you know, quacking a bunch of irrelevant nonsense about, hey, this is great. Let's build a tabernacle for you and you and you. And the Lord had to speak out of heaven saying exactly what He's reminding him of here. And so he never forgot that lesson. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And sometimes we need to hear that, don't we? That plain reminder from the Spirit of God, hey, this Jesus is your Savior, but He's my Son. Listen up. It's kind of the tone that was in that. And maybe I'm reading into that, but I don't think I am. Okay? There was Peter getting all excited back on that mountain during that event. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that also. So, well, Jesus is my Savior. He's my Savior. He's my Savior. And I've got liberty and forgiveness. And, and it's all true. And it's all good. And, and Peter's zeal was, it's good to be zealous. But it was one of those things that sometimes we've got to be reminded, He's also our Lord. Amen? 
And if He's our Lord, He's got authority over us. And that means, this is my beloved Son, hear Him. Listen up. Listen up, brothers and sisters. Let us never forget that yes, He is our Savior, and for that we rejoice and have every right to rejoice, but we cannot and must not ever try to divorce that from what He also is to us, our Lord, our Head, our authority. And so we need to be obedient to Him. Amen? We really do. Or else we can't, be, we can't be called His disciples, can we? We can't because a disciple obeys his Lord. That's what a disciple does. He has brought himself or is brought under the discipline and the authority and the headship of his Lord. And so there we have it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Verse 19, next paragraph, he goes on and says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. There's that subtle reminder again. Take heed, obey, do what our Lord commands us to do. And in order to do that, we've got to remember what he commanded us back in the Gospels. You know, not to lose the context of that. I know that when he was alive and walking the earth, he was a Jewish, he was a Jewish Messiah to a Jewish people and teaching them in a Jewish context whilst they were still under the dictates of the law. We understand that. But much of what he taught is still very, very, very much for us today. Things like love your enemy. And, and we could go on and on and more and more about that. So, well, that's not easy. Oh, I know it's not easy. I know. And it seems like some days it's getting harder too. But Christ in you and Christ in me can love our enemies, especially when we recall that they did far worse to him than they've done to any of us so far. So there we have it. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Let's stop right there. Now, that's one of those scriptures that I am so thankful for because it really does shut down people's ideas that um, they can just take the Word of God and Rubik's Cube it however they want to to make it into anything they want or, or take the Word of God and, and treat it like a box of Legos and just pick what pieces they want, build what they want out of it do what they want with it and expect to still call themselves Christians or disciples of our Lord Jesus. The word of God, how do I want to put this? Do I still want to stick with the Legos metaphor? I don't think I do. It's a blueprint among many other things. It's not just a box of parts. It's a blueprint for what to build and how to build it. Namely, a life that is pleasing to God, a house that is built upon a rock rather than sand. So he says, no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. We don't have the right and nobody does. No Christian does. No minister, no pastor, no church member, no apostle, no teacher, no prophet. No one has the right to take scripture from the word of God 
and use or create a private interpretation out of it. You ever wondered why we do Bible studies the way we do? Why it's not uh, just uh, let's all gather around on couches and everybody shares their opinion. That's called a Bible discussion. There's nothing wrong with those, but they make terrible Bible studies. That's just some folks sitting around talking about the Bible. And the Christians ought to do that. That's a blessing to do that, okay? But a Bible study is a structured teaching from the Word of God because when you put forth a discussion as a study, then it just becomes 12 or 15 or 20 or 3 or however many are there. It just becomes that many people's interpretations and opinions and then nobody walks out of there knowing what to believe. And it becomes a mess of confusion and interpretations as, you know, this brother says, well, to me, it means this. And this other brother over here says, well, to me, it means this. And this sister says, well, well, I think it means this. And it's like, okay, well, great. Thanks for all of the opinions. But now we would like to know what it actually means so that we know if we're living the right way. Amen. We'll really see this at work when we get into first and second Corinthians. But it's very, very important. There is no scripture that is of any private interpretation. We don't get to take it and say, well, I think it means this. And so therefore, this is what I'm going to do. We need to have as a, as, a, as a group of believers, as a congregation of the Lord's own people, we need to believe the same. We need to believe the same thing and be in agreement. And so that's why we do things the way that we do and where the Bible studies are concerned. Knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came, not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. There it is. There it is. So we don't get to go back into the Old Testament and pick apart the prophecies and try to make them mean something that they don't mean. Neither do we get to do that with the teachings of the apostles throughout their letters. Neither do we get to do that with the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to John on the island of Patmos when we get into that someday when, the Lord, when it pleases the Lord. Okay, We don't get to do it with that. So we don't get to sit around and just start making up things about what we, who or what we think the beast is going to be. I was talking to someone about it recently and just sort of spelled it out as a preamble. Uh, I said, now when you get to the reading about the beast and the number of the beast, and, and maybe getting two conversations mixed up, I think I've talked to a couple of people about it recently. You know, It's not talking about some supercomputer somewhere or some UPC, uh, some universal price code. Uh, stamped into a person's skin. We don't really know exactly what the mark is going to be or who the beast is going to be or who the false prophet or who the Antichrist is going to be. You know, and again, not to get, <clears throat> not to get all into that tonight in tonight's Bible study because we're in 2 Peter. We don't have the right to just start interpreting it ourselves and fabricating our own little independent doctrines and then running around telling everybody that that's how it is. Because people have done that sort of thing 
for a couple thousand years now. They really have. Why do you think we've got so many different denominations and, and groups of people? Because you've got folks that have taken the word and they've monkeyed with it and they've, they've wonked around with their interpretations of it and put forth things. Sometimes they do it without ill intent. It's just, um, it's just a, let's just call it a consequence of the language that they're studying or have learned it in. That, that, that does happen. It really does. The language you speak has a direct impact on the way that you actually think. Okay, there's a, there's a, a, a neurological or psychological principle. It has a name for that, not to get lost in that either. Sometimes there's malice behind that, though. Sometimes there's selfishness behind that. There is. Sometimes someone will take the word and they'll deliberately make it try to seem like it's saying something else so that they can have an excuse to break off from a faithful group of believers and then start their own movement based on a completely wonky and false, uh, false premise and a false interpretation of Scripture. And it's nothing new. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And as you read the letters of the apostles, you'll even read about some groups of people that caused a lot of trouble in the early church way back in the days of Peter and of Paul and of John, Jude, etc. You'll read about it there too. So he warns us, we've got a sure word of prophecy that we do well to take heed to. We do well to obey the word of God because it wasn't just scribbled down by guys that didn't have anything better to do. It wasn't written down by some guys in a writer's club that got together at a coffee house and said, hey, let's make a religion. It really wasn't what they were all about. Not at all. It says right here, verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. And every cult that's out there to this day was conceived and brought into the world by the will of man. Most of the time, if not all the time, under direct, or direct diabolical influence, right? It's the influence of the devil. He said, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. Let me say that again. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so, it's a, not to fixate over much on the phrase, holy men of God, but I want to fixate on the phrase, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so it wasn't even a case of just holy men of God decided to sit down and write these things. They didn't do it of their own will. They did it as the Spirit of God, as the Holy Ghost moved upon them because that's what He does. He impels us. Now let me just take a second and nerd out for a little bit with the English language, okay? And you've got words like propel, compel, impel, repel, right? Those are just four. There's a few other pels that are in there. You know, all of these speak of something moving or exerting some influence upon or within uh, something or someone else to get it to move. Have you ever been inspired by anything at all? Have you ever been motivated by fear? Have you ever been motivated by excitement? Something like that. You know, those are different examples of those various words. The Holy Spirit in days of old when He did not yet indwell believers because He had not yet been given unto man. The Bible talks about that, okay? 
He would move upon holy men of God. He would move upon the prophets and they were inspired by him. They were, you could say, propelled from without by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to write down the prophecies of the Old Testament and the other scriptures that are kept therein. Okay, We who live in this New Testament time who have received the Holy Spirit into, into ourselves, He moves within us as well as upon us, and we find ourselves impelled, meaning you could say inspired, I don't want to say driven, but guided, moved from within. This letter that we're learning today is an example of that. The Holy Ghost moving within Peter impelled him, inspired him to write this letter and to write the one before it. We don't know what else he might have written outside of those. History is, um, it's, all of that is possibilities lost to history. We don't know. We don't need to. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so what this becomes here, at least in this last, in this last paragraph, is an admonition to take heed to the word of God to take heed to the prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled and to take heed to those prophecies that have already been fulfilled, like the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation, to achieve that great work of salvation upon the earth, okay? For as many as will believe on him. It's a lesson to us to take heed, to obey as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. This word of God, this is our light that shines in darkness. It shines in a dark place. And do we not live in a dark place? We do. We have light in Goshen, sure. We have the light of God in our lives, but we are living in a very dark and in a very fallen world. And though you know, we, it's easy to forget that at times because of how blessed our nation has been, even all the way unto this day. You see the way the world is going. And you, just, you see how quickly things just right here in our own country can be turned on their heads just like that. See how fast it changes and shifts. And we find ourselves um, kind of ping pong from one thing to another, to another, to another, and all tries to grab our attention. And hey, let the days be uncertain. God is not. God is not uncertain. And so let's just hold on to him. It seems like everything around us is going crazy. He isn't, and so we don't have to. So if the world burns, we don't want it to burn, but we'll pray for the world. If we panic, what hope does the world have? Pray. Amen? We're supposed to be praying for the world. So let them panic, all right? But there it is. Let us take heed unto the word of God as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. Let's take heed to the whole word of God, prophecies and teachings and all. Let's take heed to it as our light in a dark place until the day, until the day dawns. What's that mean? Until Christ calls us home. And then after that, when Christ comes back with ten thousands of his saints and we'll be with him when that happens, by the way, a little sneak preview. And the day star arise in our hearts, the day star arise in the whole world for that matter. Okay, let's just take heed to the word of God and let that be our light in a dark place. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. We take heed to the word of God because the word of God was given us by the direct inspiration of the Holy Ghost himself. 
So that is our ultimate authority. That is our ultimate guide. That is our instruction upon which we build our lives. And so just to, just to reach back, if you'll suffer me to, let me reach back to Sunday morning and talk a little bit about, about going deep again. Okay? So we can afford. We can afford to put down the commentary and to lay aside the, you know, how to be a Christian minimalist book. You know, you can find a book on anything, Christianity and, you know, how to be a Christian baker, how to be a Christian calligrapher, how to be a Christian politician. I'd actually like to see a book on that, by the way. Let's just read the Word of God. As far as our, amen? As far as our guidance and our instructions. Let's just read the Word of God. Later on after that, when you've read it a few times, sure, you know, you can examine some other ones. You know, that's not some hard, fast rule. It's just what's best to do. Next week, be at the will of the Lord, we'll be right into chapter 2. In fact, let me give you a sneak peek. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, that means privately, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.